I thought the purpose of education and a career was to get noticed and to get attention, to get, to get praise and to get something out of, out, of, out of this life that would make a splash. And the more I walked with Jesus, I came to realize that's the opposite of discipleship. That, that my goal as a disciple of Jesus Christ is to get out of the way and to let Christ get the glory. Today we're continuing the series Through Jesus' Eyes. And what we've been saying is that often we find ourselves stuck in dealing with a particular problem in our lives or, or things that we are facing until someone comes along and helps us to see it from a completely different perspective. And Jesus' words and teachings had that kind of impact in people's lives. Uh, they changed the way people saw themselves and their place in this world. And so we've been going back to some of those foundational teachings uh, of Jesus and uh, trying to see their Im- impact in our own lives and what God uh, what might, might be seeking to uh, do in and through us. Uh, today we're looking at uh, the 12 disciples that Jesus called, his interactions with them and how uh, ordinary people can have an extraordinary impact. Now, I wonder if any of you have set out to help people and found that things just didn't go according to plan. Uh, that was the case for a man by the name of Lauren Sonny. Uh, he had a, a desire, a vision to uh, reach out to uh, a, a local military base, and he had put a lot of time and planning and effort into uh, uh, promoting and organizing a Bible study for uh, military officers. Uh, the day came when he uh, was about to uh, begin his study. He opened his home And to his great disappointment, just one man came. And the man who came just didn't feel like he was, he didn't feel like he was going to be training a potential leader, a a great uh, uh, worker in God's church. This particular individual had worked for seven years on uh, on the oil rigs, and he was just really tough, rough, and rough around the edges. Uh, during the Bible study, it didn't help that he just had a very stern face, never smiled. Uh, it was just, just as difficult. Like he was expecting a room full of people, relaxed uh, interaction. And one guy is there. He opens his Bible. He's just kind of looking at him. And he's thinking, you know, this is not what I was hoping for. And he continued on anyway. Now, one day, the, uh, the, the man, his uh, name is Charlie Briggs, he, he uh, had been coming to these studies, he'd been learning, and uh, one day he came to me and he said, you know, I, I decided I, I need to get up at 6 a.m. For, for, my, for my devotions. I need, I need more time with the Lord. And then I realized that that just wasn't enough, so I, I needed to get up at, at quarter, to, quarter to six. And then he said, I realized, no, that's not enough time still, and I needed to get up at 5.30. Finally, I've decided 5 a.m. Is, is, is the time when I need to wake up to have this time with the Lord. And Lauren Sonny came to realize he was, he was reviewing two to 300 memorized verses every day. 
this same man went on to, to train hundreds of thousands of people as the lead of uh, counseling for the Billy Graham Association, used by God in uh, dozens of countries around the world, and was the one who put together the uh, what uh, Steps to Peace with God, a very famous, well-known uh, little gospel tract that has been used by the Billy Graham Association uh, for uh, decades now. And it all started with this little Bible study that nobody showed up to except for this one very stern-looking man. And uh, uh, Sonny reflects on what he learned from that experience with these words. He said, to me, it's astounding what God has done with that fellow. I would never have picked him. In fact, I've quit picking out people for what God wants to do with them. But I am having an ever-increasing vision of the possibilities of every individual as a channel of blessing through the transforming power of Christ. I wonder if you have a tendency to see perhaps not only other people, but even to see yourself the way that Lauren Sonny saw Charlie Riggs that, that day. A little rough, not much potential. I'm not sure this is worth it. A bit of a disappointment. If you've ever had those feelings about yourself and your potential to be used by, by God, I pray that this morning's message will change that. Because I want to look with you at those 12 disciples. Uh, Jesus is choosing of them in Luke chapter 6. Um, we're just going to read a short passage, but they introduce us to 12 men, 12 names, and we are going to trace uh, the, the, the stories of those 12 men through the pages of Scripture. So if you turn with me to Luke chapter 6, I'll read verses 12 to 16. The Black Church Bibles on the rack under the seat in front of you. It is on page 809. And again, I'll start Luke chapter 6, verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. When day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This is the word of God. Now, Jesus spends the night in prayer choosing these disciples. It's, it's the only record in the New Testament of an all-night prayer meeting. So we know that Jesus hasn't made any mistakes in his choosing of them. If we were ever to have thought that Jesus might have made a mistake, this would, was not going to be uh, one of those decisions. He's choosing them from an already larger group of disciples. So it's not like the Bible study that Lauren Sonny had and just one person showed up and said, I guess I got to work with him. No, Jesus at this point already had a large group of followers. They have been engaged in uh, various uh, travel ministry opportunities. And so from that larger group, he's chosen these 12. And so presumably he's done so with great care, attention, and, uh, and, and purpose in, in his choice of them. And the first lesson that you learn from these disciples is that Jesus is in it for the long haul. He doesn't come into a relationship with a disciple of Jesus Christ with an unrealistic expectation of, 
boy, I think I've got someone with great, you know, uh, he, he's got all the goods here. This person is, has it all together. Uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll have to work with this person and it's going to be a breeze. No, Jesus chooses people and he does so with his own purposes and intentions, but uh, with full recognition that it's probably going to involve a lot of work. And the message is he's up for the task. He's in it for the long haul. Now, the first person in the list we're introduced to uh, in verse 14 is Simon, who is named Peter. He's the most well-known. He's the one that you know uh, very, very well. And you've probably heard somewhere along the line that uh, that word Peter means rock. It is, uh, it is an expression of, of strength, reliability, uh, someone that you can trust in, someone that will not let you down. In, in fact, you go back to the Old Testament and and we know God is our rock. He is our foundation. He's our strength. And so for Jesus to apply that kind of title to Peter, boy, you have great hope and expectation. Only what we learn of Peter is that he is anything but a rock. His, his character and behavior don't seem to measure up to this lofty name that Jesus gives him. Um, who can forget that, that time in, uh, in, in Jesus' interaction with the disciples where he announces to them that he is going to go to Jerusalem and when he goes there, he is going to uh, face persecution, rejection, and he's going to be killed. Peter hears that message and he, uh, the, the text actually says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And we're... we're we see that whole interaction shake down and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the, in, in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And, and we, we're thinking, boy, if, if Peter is going to be someone we're going to trust in and rely on, if he's going to be kind of like our foundation and our, our strength, we're in trouble. Did Jesus make a mistake? Did, did he get it wrong? Or how about that time when Jesus knew all that he was going to face at the cross? And Jesus doesn't make a lot of requests. There's not a lot of personal needs that he's relying on the disciples for. But he did ask them that night to pray. And and in asking them to pray, you think, okay, maybe the disciples will falter, but not the rock, not the reliable one, not the trustworthy one. Surely he's going to stand with Jesus in his greatest hour of need. And Jesus comes back from prayer and again, uh, he, he, confronts, he confronts Peter uh, and chooses not to use the name Peter here, calls him by his, his old name, his natural name. He says, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? And that's not even mentioning Jesus, uh, Peter's most famous uh, uh, falter, his triple denial of Jesus on the, at the very moment when Jesus most needed someone to stand with him, to stand by him. Peter, the rock, it's nowhere to be found. He's denying, I don't know the man, I, and, and trying to distance, him from, distance himself uh, from uh, from, from Jesus at a time when Peter, Peter really should have been the one to stand up and to stand strong. And what you learn from uh, this interaction that 
with, with Peter. You know, Peter, as you get into the book of Acts and you see after he has been reinstated, you realize Peter does go on to become the rock that Jesus had promised, but it takes years. It takes a very long time. And you see Jesus' patient interaction with, uh, with uh, Peter and you realize this is a savior who is willing to go the distance. He's willing to take the time. He, he can see things in a person and he has the power to, to declare uh, a person's destiny, their future, what will become true of them. But then he's willing to do the patient, long, hard work to eventually get them there. And that should be an encouragement to us. That this is how, this is who our Savior is. This is how he works in our lives. He is patient and he is con- committed to the hard work of shaping and transforming us into the people that he has called us to be. Now, interestingly, you probably knew Peter got a new name from Jesus. There's actually two other disciples who also got new names from Jesus, James and John. Uh, you may have heard uh, uh, somewhere along the line that they were named uh, the Sons of Thunder. So it's in Mark 3.17, and they're given this new name. And maybe if you're thinking, maybe, well, the, the Rock is kind of a cool name, Rocky, whatever you want to uh, go with there. But Sons of Thunder, at first, that sounds like a really cool name too, right? Like if, if you were looking for nicknames, you know, Son of Thunder, uh, that kind of sounds like a... A, a, a cool name for, for a guy to get, you know, they, they, you might think they would have been thrilled and, and privileged to get this name until you kind of look into the details. When, when, when James and John were given this name by Jesus, it was probably one of those moments where they would kind of nervously laugh. Like, it kind of sounds good, but I think I know where you're going with this. And these were, uh, th- th- these were people that, that had known to have a, a temper. They could be given to anger. They could uh, be given to impatience. And so Sons of Thunder was putting, putting a, a, a tag or label on something that they had to deal with. Uh, you may, have, may be familiar with the story when, when the, these, uh, dis- the disciples were uh, preparing ministry for Jesus in a Samaritan village. And as they went in there to prepare for his speaking engagement, he was going to be uh, ministering, the people of the, of the village said, Jewish rabbi, we're Samaritans. I'm not kind of in, we're not kind of into that. Um, we're going to pass on this. We're, he may be a famous rabbi. He may have a reputation, but we're just going to, we're, we're, we're not really interested. Thanks, but no thanks. When James and John heard that response, they, they asked in Luke 9.54, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? They're, they're ready to, to, to blow up, to set fire to this village, to, to destroy them for having rejected their master. And so you see, get a sense of, of you know, there, there's some boiling anger that is under the surface there. And if something sets them off, they're ready to blow. And, and so when, when you hear that, you realize this Sons of Thunder uh, name that Jesus gives them 
is his way of putting his finger on a, a problem in their lives that they're going to have to deal with. And, and a recognition that, that he, he will uh, address that. But if Jesus puts his finger on your sin, it's because he loves you. It's because he desires to bring change in your life that will ultimately help you and bless you. And that love can change you. This same John, the son of thunder, when he went on to write his gospel, he actually never calls himself the son of thunder in his own gospel. In fact, he never calls himself John either. Do you know what the son of thunder calls himself all through his gospel? The one Jesus loved. Here, this man who had been given to anger, who had an obvious problem with impatience and could be given to just explode on someone, this one has been so transformed by the love of Jesus Christ that that he's overcome by it. He's changed by it. And, and at the end of the day, once Jesus is, has, has finished his earthly ministry with him, that's all that he remembers. Not Jesus putting his finger on his sin and identifying, you know what, you've got a bit of thunder that you need to deal with here. All that's left at the end is his recognition. This man loved me. The Savior is the one who takes the time. He will take the course. He will finish what he started. He cares for me. He loves me. And if he points out my sin, it's only because out of love and compassion, he wants to set me free. And I don't know if you've experienced any of that, but I, I feel that as a Christian, I've, I've experienced both sides of that, both the, the Peter side and as well as the, the James and John side. As, as a Christian, I've never been given a real cool name like Rocky or, or you know, I, I haven't been given that. But I, 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 as a new believer, I began to read the scriptures and all the things that, that the scripture says are, are, are true of a Christian, the, the names that are, are given to Christian, Christians. We are, we, are, we are identified in scripture as those who have a great inheritance, Loved by God. We, we are, are saints. We are forgiven. We are accepted by God. We are, uh, are free from condemnation. And you begin to read those titles and, and those names that, that are given to you as a believer. And I think, I feel like an imposter. I think that, that can't be true of me. And yet, over time, those names that he uh, graciously gives us in Scripture you come to realize that those are a new identity that he has placed on us as believers in Jesus Christ. And those, those, those names and titles begin to shape our identity and, and, and redirect the destiny that he has for our lives with him. I've also experienced the other side of that. So, again, I've never been called a son of thunder. I haven't got, been given like a, a cool but kind of nervous laughter name from Jesus directly like that. But I have many times felt God very clearly putting his finger on sin in my life. And it didn't, it, it didn't feel any better than, uh, to me that, as it must have to James and John. 
selfishness, impatience, greed, ambition, that, 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 you know, keep placing his finger on things. And sometimes you just want to say, Lord, enough, I've, 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 I can't handle anymore right now. And yet, as he places his finger on things in my life, I realize it comes with love. It comes from someone who has the power to change me. Some, someone who has identified something in my life because he wants to set me free from it. He has the power not only to, to identify, but also to change. And that's so different from everyone else in my life. Anytime someone identifies sin in your life, it's usually because they want to condemn you for it. And you realize that with Jesus, he identifies in order to free. His name, Son of Thunder, if he, if he, if he puts his finger on, on that, it is because he loves you and he knows that you can, uh, you can be stronger with, with that in, in the past. And so you, you've, you experience that, you see that time and again, and you see him dealing with one thing after another, and having gone through that process, you can't help but begin to realize what John realized. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved too. It wasn't just him. It's all of us who have given our lives to Jesus and have begun to follow him in that way. So from these first disciples, Peter, James, and John, we learn how Jesus deals with our character. So let's look at some other disciples now and see how he leads us on mission. And what you see here is that some disciples speak, some invite, and some host that there's this incredible diversity to how God works in our lives. That there isn't a one-size-fits-all pattern for ministry. Uh, there isn't a one-size-fits-all pattern for disciples. Some speak, some invite, some host. Now, how much do you know about Peter's brother, Andrew? Not much, right? We're, we're not really told very much about Andrew. I probably just, I probably needed to tell you that he was Peter's brother because if I hadn't, you're kind of like, Andrew, yeah, I think he's one of the disciples. Not sure how he fits into things. He was, he was a guy, as many people do in, in our world, not just in scripture, who lived under the shadow of uh, a, a brother who stole the, stole the spotlight, got the attention. And so we don't, we don't really know any particularly dumb things that, that Peter said, or that uh, Andrew said. We know lots of th dumb things that Peter said. Not so much about, about Andrew. We, don't, we didn't see him put his foot in his mouth. But we don't hear him say anything profound either. We, we, don't, we don't hear much about him. We don't know what he said. But what if, one thing that we do know is that God used him to bring people to Jesus. So, for instance, uh, he, he was the one who brought Peter to Jesus. Although Peter gets all the spotlight without Andrew bringing him along and drawing him to the Savior, there, it just wouldn't have happened. It was the same with the boy with the loaves and the fish. That was Andrew who brought him to Jesus. It was the same where there were some, there were some Greeks who were, who were trying to figure out what Jesus 
what this Jesus thing was, what his message was, it was Andrew who brought them to Jesus. And so whenever we see Andrew in scripture, he just seems to be taking people along and bringing them to the Savior. It's the same thing with Philip. Uh, Philip, uh, he, he was the one who brought his brother Bartholomew uh, in, in the book of John. He also goes by the name uh, of Nathaniel. He brings him to Jesus. And what you see with, uh, with uh, uh, Philip's inviting of his brother there is inviting isn't always easy. We would think, oh, speaking is difficult. Oh, inviting is anything, is something that anyone can do. It's, it's hard. Even with family, it's hard. Because when you invite someone, your relationship is on the line. Your re- reputation is being tested because you're offering an invitation, and if it doesn't go well, then it can be uh, difficult. So when Philip invited Nathaniel, uh, you may know that it, it wasn't an easy invitation. He was the one who famously said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He hears that Jesus has arisen from that and thinks, Nazareth, I don't think, I just don't think that's, that's a place for uh, a prophet or a Messiah. It just doesn't make sense. He had a, a prejudice towards, uh, towards that town and people from it. And interestingly, Philip doesn't come out, come out with a, a six-point plan and a, a five-point argument, a list of all of the prophecies and the details of why this is actually all going to work out. The only thing Philip comes up with is, come and see. And Jesus does all the rest. And again, you recognize that people, some people like Peter, very quick to speak, very easy for them to come up with words, very easy for them to stand up in front of the group and and spell things out. But others, equally called by God, equally uh, devoted to the Savior, have uh, just a different role and a different a different place in their in the ministry that Jesus calls them to. They're used to invite people to Him. Uh, there's. There's a number of different ways that you can do that. You, can, you, you have probably seen uh, opportunities. You've probably taken opportunities. Some of you have invited people to church. Some of you have invited people to uh, life group. Uh, some of you have invited people to watch a video, to read an article. You look for those opportunities that you have to invite people to make opportunities to bring someone who is here to come to uh, connect with the Savior. And we, we look for those opportunities. Uh, we, we, heard, we heard Ishan introduce one of those opportunities to us this morning. Laugh is this Thursday. Hey, if you're available in the day, come, but invite someone along. Think of someone in your life that would be helped by that, would be blessed by that, and may have an opportunity uh, in hearing the word of God to be changed by the word of God. So we can, some speak, some invite, but also some host. Matthew is a, an, another individual who is called by uh, called by Jesus. He also goes by the name Levi, so another uh, a person that we have to deal with double names. But he shows how uh, disciples can be used in another way by the Lord. 
Matthew was a tax collector, you know. He was someone as a tax collector who would have burned a lot of bridges, been hated a lot by a lot of people, as you know. And that's going to come with its own set of challenges. Even as he goes to then join the disciples, uh, you, you know, that within that group. So first of all, he's joining a group of people that he knows probably wouldn't naturally like him very much. But not only is that, is that going to be true in general, but in particular, there is someone that we'll meet called Simon the Zealot, who as a zealot, what that meant was they were hardcore about their religion and hardcore about their politics. They were kind of, they were radical on both fronts. And uh, they would have, uh, for someone like, uh, someone like Matthew or Levi who has gone and become a tax collector, they would see him as having sold out to Rome, given their life to the enemy. This is like Barack Obama sitting down with Donald Trump and trying to make peace, trying to, trying to get along. Like They just don't have a lot in common. They, there isn't a lot of shared instinct, a lot of shared interest or perspective, and they're going to be real challenges. But what you see with Matthew and Simon, as with the other disciples, they learn to build bridges with one another. They come to see how what they share in Christ can go above and beyond the natural differences that they would otherwise have. And so as they do come together, they, Matthew learns to build a bridge with the other disciples, build a bridge with uh, Simon the Zealot. He also learns he can build those same bridges with others who don't know Christ and were separated from uh, the hope of the gospel as he was. Because just as Matthew has burnt a lot of bridges, he knows what it's like to be hated by people. He knows how isolating that is. He knows what it's like to be alone in the room and, and nobody wants to speak with you. He knows the, the, the loneliness of that. And so what he, he becomes famous for a party that he has and probably was one of many parties that he hosted It's described in Luke chapter 5, verse 29. It says, Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. He knows lots of people who were hated just as he was. And he feels their pain. He feels their isolation. And he knows that they might not have a lot to do with religion, but he knows that they're hurting. He knows that they might not be gangbusters for, for uh, Bible studies, but he knows that they need relationship. And so he has this party. There's no indication that there was a formal program, uh, that there would, would be uh, uh, reading scriptures, that there would be sermons. He just is bringing together people who are far from God. He's bringing them together uh, with, with the Savior. He's bringing together his old friends and trying to build bridges with his new friends. And as he invites Jesus into the midst of that, he knows that there's a power for God to work, to draw people to himself. And so he, he fires up his bar- barbecue and he does that. He, he, he brings together that opportunity. 
here, not so much inviting people to something else, but, but acting as the host, being the one who is the, 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 the peacemaker and the bridge builder. Oh, we did that for years as a part of the campus, uh, campus ministry that we had. Uh, we just, once a month, we invited university students uh, some were Christian, some were non-Christian. We just said, come, there's no program, uh, there's, there's, there's no agenda. We just want to, to bring together, build bridges between them and to have uh, opportunities for people who have otherwise nothing to do with God uh, to connect with those who do. Uh, we did the same with our, with our professionals ministry that, that we hosted. Anytime we had somebody coming to town, a guest that would be staying with us that had uh, uh, a story to tell and had a, uh, um, uh, maybe an opportunity for us to connect, I would just invite neighbors and we would have a meal together. And it wasn't a Bible study. It wasn't a sermon. Um, but I, I would ask people to share about their life, about their struggles, and about their hope. And as Christians and non-Christians did that, it was an opportunity to build bridges. It was an opportunity for people to speak about their faith, to speak about uh, their, their, their challenges, for people to come together. And as you do that and you invite Christ into your midst, it impacts people, changes people, and it creates opportunities for the gospel. Now, unless you've got the courage and the words of a guy like Peter Many people can get the impression there's just not a place for me in the mission. I, I don't, I'm not sure if I have a place to, to, uh, to serve. I have a, a role to be used by God in that way. But just because you're not Peter doesn't mean you can't be an Andrew or Philip or a Matthew. Look for ways to invite people. Look for ways to... To, to bring people, to, uh, to uh, bring them to church, bring them to groups, bring them to opportunities. Invite them to see what uh, others have written. Invite them to watch a, a video that might uh, point them to Christ. Look for those opportunities in your life to make Christ known, but to do so in a way that just invites somebody else to, to do some of that hard work. And be a bridge builder. Look for, look for opportunities to open your home, to uh, in, in have people coming together over coffee, wherever that might be for you. Try to create those bridges uh, to be the host that will bring together people who don't know uh, with those who do. And as you do, go in prayer, go asking God to uh, work in your midst and to use you as uh, as a host, to use you the way that he did Matthew. And so uh, we started with some di disciples who showed how Jesus deals with our character. Then we looked at our, uh, some other disciples and showed how Jesus leads us in mission. And finally, we're looking at uh, the last group of disciples. And here we're dealing with the challenge, one of the challenges of discipleship. And the message here is that most disciples never get a Hollywood star. Serving Jesus is seldom accompanied by the recognition and the appreciation. The, 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 if, if you're looking for something by the way of the world's applause, this is typically not the path. And, and maybe you think, boy, that's, 
that's a discouraging part to put on this, this, this message, but going in with your eyes open helps. Knowing in advance, this is not the fast track to getting a, your own Wikipedia page or, or, or Hollywood star. That, that sets you up with a realistic understanding of what uh, ministry and service entails. Let's, let's, let's start with a, uh, uh, one of the disciples who he was not only, uh, not only did he not get the recognition he deserved, like many disciples, he was misunderstood. Uh, we'll start with Thomas. What is Thomas known for? What do we call him? Doubting Thomas. You know, he gets, he gets a, a hard rap, right? He, he gets singled out for this, this moment in time, this, this, this time of doubt. Uh, we, we know that he had the very um, unfortunate uh, circumstance of not being in the room when Jesus physically appeared after the resurrection came to his disciples. It was unfortunate he wasn't there. And should he have believed these resurrection accounts from these, these people that he had spent, lived with for the last three years? Yes, he probably should have. But let's, let's remember, his world has been turned upside down by grief, and this was a, uh, just an incredible event that, that the disciples themselves, they were all taken aback by it. They were all surprised by it, even though Jesus had predicted that it would come. And so we need to, we need to cut Thomas a little, a little slack, realize, uh, yeah, he, he had this time of doubt, but as you look at the circumstances, you think, I can kind of see how he would have gotten there. Anybody know anything else about Thomas? Any other events in his life? Any other character qualities that might stand out? Well, there's a, a time in John 11 where Jesus tells the disciples he, he plans to return to Judea. He knows that his friend Lazarus is sick. In fact, he knows that his friend Lazarus is about to die and will die before he arrives there. But when he announces those plans, uh, 11 other disciples try and stop him. They try and stop him because they know last time that we were in Judea, the area around Jerusalem, Jesus, last time we went there, they tried to stone you. So heading back there so soon after that event, this is probably not a good idea. This is not the safe plan. This is not the wise plan. Let's just not do that. And in the midst of all of the other disciples saying, let's not do that, Jesus. Let's kind of stay safe. Uh, Thomas say, says in John eleven sixteen, let us also go. So he's trying to encourage the other disciples. Let us also go that we may die with him. They're saying, he's saying, yeah, I think you're right. Jesus is going to get killed when we go there. Let's go die with him. Like, he is all in for Jesus. If, if, if Jesus is going to die, I want to be there by his side so that I can die too. So that I can show how committed to him I am. How, uh, how, how devoted to him I am. And you have an event like that in Thomas's life, but guess what? Nobody remembers it. Nobody calls him courageous Thomas. Nobody calls him you know, willing to die for Jesus, Thomas. He's always just 
Doubting Thomas. And so often that's, that's the case. People will remember us by the worst event, by the, the biggest failure, and, and often forget all of the other things that we have done along the way. And yet, as it's recorded in Scripture, we're, 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 we're reminded God sees the truth. God, God sees the reality, the fullness of who we are and what we have done, and he will set the record straight. But often, for a disciple, you're misunderstood. Now, Thomas gets misunderstood, I believe. Courageous Thomas, confident Thomas, uh, self-sacrificing Thomas. He, he gets misunderstood. But you look through the other names of disciples and you realize a lot of, a lot of disciples don't get misunderstood they just, they just don't get mentioned. They don't, they don't get noticed. They don't stand out. And so uh, let's, let's look at some of them. Anyone know, uh, say, James, son of Alphaeus? Anyone? He's, <laughs> he, he gets this great name in history. You know what he came to be known as? So James, son of Alphaeus, maybe that's hard to say. He came to be known as James the Lesser. If you're reading any kind of scholarly books, uh, anything after about the ninth century, they always refer to him as James the Lesser. Wouldn't you? Like, I, I think I'd rather be known as Son of Thunder, something identifies my anger and impatience, than James the Lesser. Like, that's, but the reason that he was called James the Lesser is to distinguish him from the James the Greater, which is the James, the brother of John, and James the famous, or the, 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 the more important uh, brother of Jesus, who became one of the key figures in uh, the uh, Jerusalem church. So you've got these two important Jameses, and James, son of Alphaeus, I don't know, what do we call him? Let's call him James the Lesser. Not, James didn't really do much. James, not much we can say about him. But that's the reality of discipleship, that often we're not remembered, our uh, impact doesn't uh, come to stand out. Same with Simon the Zealot. We, we've, we've already talked about him. We talked about how he, where he came from and what he did, that he was... Zealous for, for, for God, zealous for politics. He was a radical on both fronts before coming to know Jesus. What did he do? What did he say? I don't know. Not remembered. There's no star. There's no Wikipedia entry. And again, it is part of uh, the, 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 the pattern of discipleship. Next comes Judas, son of James. Here, he doesn't make a big enough splash for him to be uh, greatly remembered. There's only one event that really uh, is uh, important enough to, uh, to record about him. or to, It's not even him. It's, it, his name is just mentioned in, in association with something else. But the best thing that can be, that can be said about uh, Judas, son of James, is that he wasn't Judas Iscariot. In fact, that's the, the other time when he is mentioned outside of the list, that's actually what he's called. And I love this name. In John 14, 22, the only time that he actually speaks in the Gospels, it's where he's called Judas, not Iscariot. And 
like as far as names go, this is probably, for me, this is the coolest one. He is, is someone who, who is not remarkable, but he's, he, he's remarkable for the fact that he didn't walk, path, walk down that same path that Judas Iscariot did. And for me, this is, this is like a critical, uh, a, a critical example for me because there was a time in my life as I look back to time growing up where ambition was, was so important to me. I thought the purpose of education and a career was to get noticed and to get attention, uh, to, get, to get praise and to get... Uh, something out of out of out of this life that would make a splash and the more i walked with jesus i came to realize that's the opposite of discipleship that that my goal as a disciple of jesus christ is to get out of the way and to let christ uh, get the glory and and so you look at his his life here and you, you realize as, as you look at him that this, this Judas son of James or Judas not Iscariot is, is for us a, uh, a goal. Like, I want to be the guy. I want to be the disciple of Jesus Christ who they could say, mm, not a lot of drama. There weren't any scandals. Um, he just seemed to be faithful. I remember Jesus. I remember what he said about Jesus. I remember how he pointed to Jesus. But apart from that, I, Paul, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with anything. Unremarkable. No drama. Just pointing to Jesus Christ. And you, you think of these people and you realize John the Baptist had it right all along. I must decrease. He must increase. My job is to get out of the way to give the spotlight to another. My job is not to try and get glory for myself, but to give the glory to Jesus. And so as you look at these 12 disciples, where does that, where does that leave you? Have you told yourself that you're not qualified to serve Jesus? Rather than listening to what Satan tells you in your heart of how you are not good enough, that you are not qualified. Listen to what the scriptures proclaim about a child of God. Accepted, forgiven, cleansed, a saint, a rich inheritor of the, of the glories of Jesus Christ. If you've trusted in Jesus, you're a child of God and a member of his body. Adopted. You've been made his child. So by faith, you're becoming who he's declared you and he's called you to serve him. He invites you to be a part of what he's doing. And keep reminding yourself of how patient he is. Even when he puts his finger on the thunder in your life, whatever that might be, he does so in love. And he does so because he has the power to transform you. He has the power to change you. And he wants to set you free. As you look at your role, maybe, you're, maybe you are a speaker. Maybe you are like Peter. And maybe you just need to be patient with yourself and patient with what he is doing to shape you.
because Peter didn't get there all at once. But maybe you're an inviter. Maybe you're a host. Maybe you're a bridge builder the way Matthew was. Let God use you in the unique way that he has created you for his glory. But it's not about getting a Hollywood star. It's not about making a splash or getting glory for ourselves. The best thing that could be said about us is he's a disciple, but not the Judas Iscariot type. No drama, all Jesus. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for how diverse your plan is. You call so many different types of people and personalities that we know that there's a place for us in your plan. So help us to find it. Help us to Help us to seek it, to, to step into the role that you have for us, to step into the purposes that you have provided for us. Give us grace to speak, to invite, and to host. Because we want to serve you. But Satan keeps trying to distract us and to disqualify, disqualify us. So draw us near, strengthen us, and use us for your glory. For we ask you in Jesus' name.